Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. So where do we go from here? Will you stand with me? We're in Acts chapter 16 for the reading of the word. And I'll pick up um, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We uh, are going to kind of unpack, if we were, this passage this morning but all of Acts 16, but I got to kind of take you back a little bit to several weeks ago now when Jason was starting to talk about Acts 16, and uh, you may remember how Timothy joins in with Paul and Silas, and that whole process takes place, but there was this window called the Macedonian Call where Paul hears or sees the vision of a man on the other side of the sea, and the man says, "What? come over and preach the gospel to us. So before I get there, just let me kind of unpack something we talked about before way, way back when we first talked about the book of Acts. And that's this first verse in the book of Acts that we notice. It says, but you will receive power, Jesus speaking here, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, if you're not familiar with that territory at all, know that Jerusalem was where that church was located. Judea was the surrounding area, kind of like we're in Mantua or Seoul or Mullica Hill or whichever you wish to call it, okay? But Gloucester County is the greater area. Samaria would be the issue north of us, like New York City, or um, it's, it starts to move away from there because there's cultural differences there. And then the end of the earth is going to be like where Paul's about to go, clear over to Macedonia. Let me just unpack that with these four words. We said it was those I know, that's Jerusalem, people in my community. Those I don't know, that's people in my community, Judea, that are like me, but I don't know them yet. Those who aren't like me, those are the Samaritans. They are people in the surrounding areas that are outside of what I'm going to call my cultural comfort zone. I'm going to come back to that idea again, the cultural comfort zone. We like to hang with people that are kind of like us, right? And then those who are far from me, those are people groups or nations outside of my culture, outside of my language, and outside of my geographical reach. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about how you share the good, as you share the good news, some prerequisites, and then why the good news is for right now, okay? So that's where we're heading this morning. Let's just talk about that. As you share the good news, don't be discouraged. Lead with prayer, expect disruptions, anticipate suffering. We're all going to 
unpack this out of Acts 16. Here's what I want you to see. Don't be discouraged by closed doors. God is opening hearts elsewhere. Don't be discouraged by closed doors. God is opening hearts elsewhere. Now, if you look at Acts 16 and you go back to verse 6, what you're going to see is, and they, that is Paul and Silas, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Note that there were doors shut. Verse 7, and when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, um, you say, I don't even know where those towns are, all right? So let me just show you on a map what this looks like, okay? Paul is sent down here. The first arrow says Paul and Silas are sent. They begin this journey, all right? They get up there close to Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, not here. Okay, Paul was sent as a missionary to preach the gospel. He's walked probably six or 700 miles by now, and he can't share. He goes a little further, and he sees the land of Bithynia and Pontus, and he says, hey, Lord, what about this? And Jesus says, no. Okay. And he keeps walking. Now, just for a moment, let me tell you how long this journey goes, right? 2,700 miles altogether. How many of you have been, let's just pick a city. How many of you have been to Dallas, Texas before? Okay, okay good. How many of you have been to Houston, Texas? Okay, hands down. How many of you have walked to Dallas or Houston, Texas? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you walked back, right? That would be the 2,700-mile loop, okay? Now, just for a moment, okay, get a hold of this. What would you do if you said, I'm going on a missionary journey? You started walking, you, and by the time you got to Wawa, you were saying, I'm ready to share the gospel. And the Spirit said, no, keep walking, right? You kept walking through West Virginia, through Kentucky, through Tennessee, okay. You say, hey, Lord, can I share the gospel with the people in Kentucky? Nope, keep walking. What I want you to see is that God said no repeatedly to get them clear over here to Troas. There's no further place to go unless they're going to swim or get a boat. And that's when the Macedonian vision shows up and the man says, come across to Macedonia. And that's how Paul ends up in Philippi, the story in Acts 16. Maybe another way to say this is don't fight God's not now just because it doesn't fit your plan, right? Sometimes we're so convinced that we know what we're supposed to do that we should just understand don't fight God's not now just because it doesn't fit your plan. Here's your second idea. Lead with prayer. The Lord opens the hearts. We're just the message bearers. That's right. The Lord opens the hearts. We're just the message bearers. When Paul first comes to Philippi, uh, he's probably looking for the man in the vision. There's not a man there, but there is a woman there, a woman by the name of Lydia. And the text says that on the Sabbath day, when he went outside the gate of the riverside, where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. Now, that means a couple of things. It means there probably wasn't a synagogue. That's where he normally went, a Jewish center of learning. There probably isn't a synagogue there for him to teach. So the first step before you got to a synagogue was to go to a place of prayer. Prayer. By the way, um, in, in the biblical record, if you could gather 10 families, you could, uh, you could begin to say, okay, if 10 families were to give, we can support one other person to come and be the rabbi in the synagogue. And that's how they did it, right? By the way, it may surprise you to know that that's in part how I came to Fellowship Bible Church a long time ago, Right? was the men who were here were given the advice, listen, if you get 10 families who are giving 10%, you can acquire a pastor, right? That's how you do it. 
And they had the faith to actually do that, right? And I remember when I first came, they said, listen, Phil, when I was candidating, they said, we don't have the money to pay you, but we've saved enough that we can pay you, and out of savings, we can fund you for two years. And I remember saying, what happens at the end of two years, okay? And they said, well, you'll start preaching and people will come. And I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, like I'm a rookie. Like, okay, like, like uh, nothing like feeling some pressure. But anyhow, here's the picture. What I want you to see here is that they didn't have 10 men, but they had women that were there. And the women there were meeting in a place of prayer down by the river. That's where they were. And so that's where Paul goes. And he sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Notice in Acts 16, verse 16, as they were going back to the place of prayer, I want you to see they're going to the place of prayer because they're praying for their people, right? They're praying for that community. Here's the third idea. Expect disruptions. Changed lives will impact others' lives. Changed lives will impact others' lives. Expect disruptions. Changed lives will impact others' lives. And that's exactly what you find in this story. Before we get to them in prison, this is how they ended up in prison. I love this. Acts 16, verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She's got a demon in her. And the demon is forecasting future ideas that would happen. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. By the way, I just want you to understand that. You say, well, that sounds really good. Well, it does sound good, but you have to know this girl doesn't speak on her own accord, right? She is possessed. And so when Paul says, hey, listen, stop speaking like I'm trying to speak and you keep screaming, like, can you stop speaking? She can't help herself. And this she kept doing, the text says, for many days, like Paul, and Paul having become greatly annoyed. I love that. (laughs) Like, hey, wherever we go, this girl shows up and she keeps yelling, right? She keeps shouting and it's not really helping our case. We're trying to explain the gospel, okay? So finally, in his annoyance, he turns and said to the spirit, this is the spirit that indwells her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour, okay? Now, he was greatly annoyed, but somebody else is about to get greatly annoyed. Like the guys who are sitting at the table saying, she'll tell you your fortune, but you pay us, and just know this, they probably weren't paying her much, if anything, because she's the slave. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, okay? Now, the magistrates there in Philippi, they, they're not helpful here at all. In fact, when the beating starts, which is what's about to happen, okay, when the beating starts, just know this, the magistrates support that, tear the robes off of them, and everybody jumps on Paul and Silas and starts to beat them. This is unjustified. It... it it isn't, wasn't an act of discipline. It was just an act of vengeance. Expect disruptions. But here's the other thing. Anticipate suffering. People can be selfish, vengeful, and cruel. That's true. Right? You can anticipate suffering. People can be selfish, vengeful, and cruel. You are helping people, right? You are helping people who are hurting You would expect them, not necessarily, well, you say, if they're hurting, I'd expect them to be responsive. 
Hey, have you ever gone to the hospital for something, been in the ER room, and a doctor said to you something like this, um, this might be a little uncomfortable. Have any of you ever heard that? Okay. And that's just where I start to say, okay, uh, can I get some more morphine or something, <laughs> right? Because I know uncomfortable to them is painful to me, right? Here's the point. When we are working with people who are in pain, we should expect that those people will also outlash with their pain. Hurting people hurt others. People can be selfish, vengeful, and cruel. There are men who are selfish. Their money was taken from them. They want to beat them. They want to be vengeful. You took something from us, we're going there. But I want to point out one other thing to you in this text. Look at this. The crowd joined in and attacking them. Hey, they liked their fortune being told too. It was profitable to them. So the crowd jumps in too. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders. The magistrates are the leaders. They're the government leaders, okay? They tore the garments off of Paul and Silas and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now, some of the research I did here told me that by the time you're being beaten with a rod, you're not only bloodied and bruised deeply, but there's probably broken bones involved, okay? And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Now, remember, I said people can be vengeful, they can selfish, but they can also be cruel. Having received this order, he, that is, the jailer, put them in the inner prison, away from the light, right, in the very center, in the dark, and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, if you're thinking this is something like um, going to Six Flags or, or, or um, Williamsburg, where you put your hands in the stocks and you take a picture, it's nothing like that. The stocks that were used were stocks that were meant to stretch you. So when they put their feet in, in stocks, they've stretched their legs in such a way that they're meant to be in torture while they're there. Okay. Now, just picture this. They've been beaten, probably broken bones. They pull them into those stocks in such a way now that as the muscles begin to cramp up, there is absolutely no relief. You say, well, why would they do that? Because the jailer's cruel. Some have said that the jailer was probably an ex-military man. He knew how to incur and bring about suffering and pain. He would have been a military guy until he was too old to be of much service there. And so they put him in charge of the jail. He knows how to handle people. That's probably the understanding. We'll get there in a second. But just know this. There's cruelty here, too. So that's what you need to kind of anticipate as you share the good news, don't be discouraged by closed doors, lead with prayer, expect disruptions, and anticipate suffering. Okay. Now, what's really cool about this passage is there's three people that come to faith in Christ in this passage. There is Lydia, who is a seller of purple, and she's probably a wealthy businesswoman. There is the slave girl um, who is possessed, right? And there is the jailer. So just let me show you something that you may not have thought about here. Why the gospel is good news right now. Not just, it's good news that I'm going to heaven one day. I'm going to be, because, you know, Jesus said, um, I go to prepare a place for you. When he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. But that's all future. That's all eternal, right? Why is the gospel good news right now? You ready for this? It's good news right now because we prefer, we pursue, and we value, and we're wrong. Okay. Here's the first one. We prefer cultural division, but the gospel is good news to all. 
We prefer cultural division, but the gospel is good news to all. The world in which we live desires to group people. It's not a secret. It can be political, it can be racial, it can be cultural. Whatever it is, we kind of set up in grouping people. You say, I agree, Phil, and I think that's terrible. And can I tell you something? You probably do it too. Are there not people you enjoy being with because they're kind of like you? We struggle with people who are not like us. But what I want you to see just for a moment is the distinction of these three people, Lydia the slave girl and the jailer. Watch this. Lydia was an affluent entrepreneur. You might call her upper class. She's selling purple. That's the best fabric, the most expensive fabric. It's the only kind of fabric that those who are wealthy could afford. So she's figured it out. She's running her own little boutique down there by the river, okay? That's Lydia. You have a young girl who is exploited and abused and a captive. There is a massive distinction between those two, right? You might say that the one, Lydia, was the entrepreneur, the businesswoman. Um, She's upper class. You would say that this individual knows what it's like to be lower class. She has no rights. But she's exploited. The demon that's in her spiritually is, she's demon-possessed. Not only is she that, but people are taking advantage of her pain. You with me in that? That's exploitation. She's abused. She's captive. She can't go anywhere. And then you have the jailer. I'm just going to call him a blue-collar family man, okay? And you know he's a family man because he's got a household, and the household gets saved, right? So he's like uh, just kind of picture, like a blue-collar family guy. You have upper class, you have lower class, you have middle class. You have various cultures. You also have here various, um, various racial distinctions, Lydia, we are told in Acts 16, was from Thyatira. If I take you back to that map, you saw the section of Asia, you'd find Thyatira, the city, right in the middle of Asia. She's Asian, right? The the slave girl probably is Greek. She grew up there. She's there. She's in Macedonia. The blue-collar family guy, he was probably working for, as he was working for the Roman army, he's probably Roman. You have Asians, Greeks, and Romans. There is no racial distinction here. There is no cultural distinction here. By the way, there's, there's also a bit of a spiritual distinction here, isn't there? The affluent Lydia, you may remember, the text says in Acts 16, she was a worshiper of God, and God, the Lord opened her heart to the gospel as Paul's preaching. She's, you might want to call her a seeker, she's spiritually interested. You have the slave girl who's demon-possessed, she's, she's not spiritually interested, she's spiritually violent, right, opposed, and you have the jailer who's, huh, I don't care. Okay? He's indifferent. Look at all of the distinctions of these three individuals. And yet in one chapter, all of them come to faith in Christ. Because you and I like our cultural distinctions. But the gospel is good news to all. There, this is such a true statement. There is a level field at the foot of the cross. We all come the same way. If you grew up in church, you might say, well, yeah, I grew up in church. I don't really understand, you know, what some people talk about or the language of the day or whatever. I just want to tell you, we can't stand in judgment of that. These are people whom God is calling to himself. A couple years ago, um, I interacted with one of our young youth interns that was here. I said, you got to give me like uh, the top 12 words that young people are using. 
because I don't even know what they are. Like, what is drip, for instance, okay? Like, 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 I don't know what these things are. So he gave me all these words, right? And it's, it, 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 I don't try to use them, okay? But they grant for me an understanding of what another generation is thinking, what's important to them, what they value. Because listen, everybody on this list is somebody we should be sharing the good news with right now. The gospel is good news right now. We prefer cultural division, but the gospel is good news to all. We're getting to my favorite part. We pursue fake freedom, but the gospel is the good news of real freedom. We pursue fake freedom, but the gospel is the good news of real freedom. Let me explain to you what I mean by fake freedom. Some people believe, and basically our world teaches, that freedom is being able to do whatever you want, right? That's what freedom is. It's my life. I can do what I want, right? After all these years of pastoring, I will tell you that that is a fake freedom because I have found that people that do whatever they want, do whatever their desires are, find that their desires never satisfy, and then they become captive to those desires, and then they can't break them. That's why Romans 6 says, um, do you not know that you're the slave of whatever you choose to obey? That's right, Romans 6, 16. You're the slave of whatever you choose to obey. So when you choose to obey only what you desire, you become the slave of only what you desire. That's not real freedom, folks. That's you only doing what you desire. Talk to the person who struggled with a drug addiction and ask them the question, are you free? First answer, no, I'm not free. But you got to be free. You can do whatever you want, right? No, I need to do these things. I have to have these things. You can put anything else you want in the blank. When we only follow what we desire, it isn't freedom. It's fake freedom. It's fake freedom. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of real freedom. And let me show you that in a couple of scenarios that, that hardly make sense. But think about it for a moment. Lydia, Acts chapter 16, verse 6, um, verse 14. It says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul's preaching the gospel. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, and we stayed. The church in Philippi starts, ready for this, in Lydia's house. She was a God worshiper, but she probably felt guilt and shame because God is who God is, and she is who she is. But she finds real freedom in a relationship with God only when she begins to understand that Christ died in her place. This is the gospel that Paul preaches over and over again. And therefore, she is free. Why? Because she no longer feels the guilt and shame because she knows that God has forgiven her through Christ. You want freedom? Think about this. For neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's freedom, okay? Pursuing your own desires is not freedom. She lives freely in a relationship with God because she knows what it's like to be forgiven. Or how about this? Freedom from your personal demons. Can you imagine what that next day was like for the slave girl? Just think about this for a second. 
for most of what she has known of her life, she has been saying things that she can't really keep from saying because the spirit just, the demon overtakes her and she blurts out something. And while she's blurting it out, she gets nothing for it. The uh, owners of the slave girl take her money and uh, take the money and they keep having her prophesy like that. And she keeps saying things and they keep taking money. And by the way, it's not unusual to think that at some stage in this, what probably happened is businessmen started to trade her, right? Like, hey, um, I've got some money off of this girl, but I want what you have. Can you, I'll, I'll sell you this person because slaves are traded. Slaves are sold. She gets traded again and again and again. She's sold again and again and again. And all the while, she's got a personal demon. That's not freedom. But Paul says, listen, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. The next morning, she's free. And people are beating the snot out of Paul and Silas. But the slave girl's free. Do you have personal demons? Temptations? Struggles? Ways of thinking that are cyclical that just keep coming again and again and again and again. We pursue fake freedom, but the gospel is the good news of real freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians said. Here's one of my favorites. To forgive and be forgiven. We pursue fake freedom, but the gospel is the good news, a real freedom. You know who gets this? The jailer gets this. Now, I set the jailer up for you by telling you that he was cruel. He didn't have any reason other than to maybe impress the magistrates to put Paul and Silas in the stocks that he did to continue to torture them in the inner cell, okay, aside from his own cruelty, which is why when he's about to take his life and Paul shouts out, what you say, why was he taking his life? Because he would be executed the next morning because he's the jailer responsible for the prison. All the prison doors are open. He was sleeping. He expected them to stay locked. An earthquake happened. He wakes up. All the doors are open. He assumes everybody's left the prison. Okay? But nobody's left the prison. Why do you think he come when Paul says, hey, 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 don't take your life. We're all here. We didn't leave. Okay. Why do you think he comes running in with a light? Because Paul had the authority over his life. He could have said, hey, we're leaving, and go ahead, take your life, because you treated us cruelly. That's how everybody thinks, right? You treated me, I'll treat you the way you treated me. That's not so here. Paul is in there saying, hey, we didn't leave, we didn't leave, we're all here, we're all here. Nobody left. Count us. Everybody's here, just the doors are open, okay? I don't know if you've ever done a prison ministry, but if you open the doors, don't expect the people to stay. Okay? They're planning on going. The ones who didn't do anything wrong and the ones who did something wrong, they're all planning on going. Okay? But they're all here. This man who treated Paul and Silas cruelly took their broken bodies, put them in a stocks to allow their legs to cramp. This man knows what it's like to be forgiven because Paul doesn't say, take your own life. We don't care because of how you treated us. He says, hey, hey, we're all here. Come here. And that's why the man runs in with a light. Why? Because they're in the inner prison. There's no light in there. He grabs the lights. He runs into the inner prison. He looks and finds they're all there and he falls down on his face. Why? Because he understands something. He understands what it's like to be forgiven by Paul and he wants to meet this God that would forgive him too. 
By, by the way, there's this, this really cool image of God here, isn't there? This is the God that shakes the ground with an earthquake, just like that, at whenever he wants to, okay? Now, we live in California. We, uh, we went through some earthquakes when we lived out there, and so I understand that when an earthquake happens, okay, you, it, doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like there's any rationale to when it happens, right? And, and so nobody could ever just say, hey, let's have an earthquake at, uh, right now, okay? It doesn't happen like that. It happens when you least expect it. It feels random, I mean, Kim and I were from the Midwest, and I was from South Carolina, and so, listen, by the time we got out there and an earthquake happened, our first go-around, it was like, whoa, this is so cool, right? And the people around us were saying, get under the desk now, right? Like, don't, don't think it's cool, get, get where you're safe, right? And I, I, I can remember that I was in a beginning Greek class in the second floor when the first one happened and the ceiling tiles start to shift and then the room starts to rock and, and then as soon as it lets up, we all leave the building and we're standing in the parking lot and the professor says, do you want to go back in? And we're thinking, oh, okay, it's over and we take like one step and there's a little bit of an aftershock and we say, nope, we're going home, okay. This is a man who understands that this earthquake has happened purposefully by God and this same God is merciful and forgiving Wow. This is the God who's so powerful he could take the jailer's life like that, and yet he doesn't. To forgive and be forgiven, the jailer gets it, right? Here's another one. Mm. From circumstantial contentment. Paul and Silas have been beaten. They got broken bones. They, they're tied up in stocks. Their wounds have not been washed. There's probably flies buzzing all over them. And yet, look at this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I love that. You want to know why the prisoners didn't leave when the doors opened? Because the prisoners were listening to real freedom. That's why. They'd never seen freedom like that. How can you beat the living daylights out of a guy, put him in stocks, and he's over there singing, right, and praying. In pain, he's singing and praying. And that's why the prisoners were listening. I love this idea. We are so in our world, so convinced that if we can only get what we want, we would be content. Here's a great lesson. If you're not content with what you have, you'll never be content with what you want. If you're not content with what you have, you're never going to be content with what you want. We need to understand contentment, Paul says, is a learned process. He says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, Philippians chapter 3, to be content. I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little. Either way, I can be content. If you can't be content with what you have, you'll never be content with what you want. Okay, you ready for this? Here's what Paul and Silas have. Broken bones, wounded bodies, trapped in stocks, muscles that are tightening up and seizing, would cause them to want to cry out in pain, and what comes out instead is singing. I just want to try something with you here for just a minute, okay? Um, I want you to sing with me a familiar song, all right? So this is your chance to participate. So just jump in with me. I'll start it. You just join me, okay? Just sing it. All right, here we go. 
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Stop right there. Yeah. I don't know what you were thinking when you were singing, but I want to change the song for you, okay? I want you to think about the most difficult moment or one of the most difficult moments you ever experienced in your life. That could be maybe being bullied if you're a student. It could maybe mean um, betrayal. It could mean any number of things. It could maybe mean the loss of a child for you. It could maybe be the loss of a parent. It could maybe be a marriage that ended in divorce. Whatever that painful moment is, okay? I want you to think about that for just a second. And I want you to sing with me. Got it? Not just any song, right? Sing it thinking about your difficult moment. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, hmm. It's different, isn't it? It's different when you worship God, remembering your suffering. He's still the same God. His grace is still amazing. But you see, Paul and Silas got it, that their contentment was not tied to circumstantial things. Their joy and contentment surpassed their immediate pain. Wow. This is why the jailer comes running in there. Perhaps the greatest testimony of your grace and, my gra and the grace of God for me is when we share out of our difficulty or pain. Last night I was listening to testimony of a young girl at a chapel service I jumped in on, and she was sharing how her hardest year in college was the year that her dad um, was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she said, you know, we prayed for his healing, we prayed over and over again for his healing, and and six weeks later, he died, right? And she unpacked it beautifully. She said, he was the one who, who would call me, who would check up on me, who would say, hey, how are you doing on the classes? What's going on? She said, I was close to my dad, and he died, right? She said, where is the grace in that? And then she said, that summer, I was, I was counseling, and this young girl comes forward, and I'm talking with her, and she says, you know, I want to believe in God, but I'm struggling because my dad died. And she said, all of a sudden, I realized out of my pain, I could help her in her pain. And she said, there was joy in it. There was joy to understand my loss could be used to help somebody else in their loss. We are so prone to say, I just want to be safe. I just want to be secure. I just want to be comfortable. 
that we miss something, that amazing grace should be sung in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty. That's, we want to get to where Paul and Silas are. Finally, one last one. We value personal accomplishment. The gospel is the good news of Christ's accomplishment. We prefer cultural division. The gospel is good news to all. doesn't matter where they are. Lydia, slave girl, jailer, all can come to Christ. We pursue fake freedom. The gospel is the good news of real freedom. You want real freedom? Worship God from your difficulty, okay? That's what real freedom looks like, not just pursuing your desires. Here's the last one. We value personal accomplishment. The gospel is the good news of Christ's accomplishment. This is absolutely beautiful. In one verse, in one verse, I'm going to show you something. Watch this. In Acts chapter 16, verse... uh, um, in Acts chapter six, uh, let me back up. In Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirty-one, the jailer asks a question: "What must I do to be saved?" Okay, focus on do. That's the way everybody thinks about it. What must I do to be saved? I know I've done things that are wrong. I hurt you guys. I shouldn't put you in the stocks. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But but here, I, I just got to know what must I do to be saved. He assumes that it's got to be something that we accomplish because when we do something, then God is pleased with us. And, and, and yet it's not about our personal accomplishment. And that's why Paul says, believe. That's it. Believe. No, 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 no. I got to do something. No, believe. Believe what? In the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household. If they believe in the Lord Jesus, they're going to be saved too. Here's the point. Believe. That's what it is. Believe that Christ died for your sins, 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures. Christ died for your sins. What do you do? Absolutely nothing. That's what you do. You've already messed it up, okay? You've messed it up. You have sins. I got it. I have sins. We all have sins. But what happens is we believe that Christ died for our sins. Wow. The the gospel at that stage does something absolutely remarkable. It sets us free in a way we can't even fathom because for the first time, we know what it's like to be free in our relationship with God. We don't have shame there because Christ died for our sins. And man, we cannot wait to serve like out of gratitude. That's all we want to do is help and serve. And I'll show you that in the jailer. That's exactly what he does. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Note this, he had not washed their wounds prior to coming to faith in Christ. But now that he's become a Christian, he's just looking to do something compassionately. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And I love this. He returns them, okay. You'll just have to read this on your own because we're out of time. He returns them to prison, right? Why? Because that's where the magistrates find them the next morning, back in prison. Paul says, let's go back to prison because they shouldn't have done that to me and I need to tell them they better not do that to other Christians because I'm kind of helping protect the church here. So Paul says, listen, you shouldn't have treated us that way. We're not just going home um, because I'm a Roman citizen. You had no right to do that. And whoa, the magistrates freak out, right? Here's the point. The jailer takes them out. He feeds them. He washes their wounds. He's compassionate. And when Paul says, let's go back to prison, he says, okay, let's go back to prison. I'll lock you up again. And then when Paul is released from prison, watch this. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned home to Lydia. Why did they go back to Lydia? Because that's where church was. And there they met with the believers. 
Who are the believers? A rich aristocrat who sells purple. A slave girl who was abused, who's set free. A jailer, middle-class guy, blue-collar worker who was indifferent to the gospel. The church of Philippi is right there with those three people. Remarkable. Here's what you need to know. If you came to church this morning thinking church is for other people, it's not for people like you, check that at the door, okay? The church includes you. You say, well, well I'm, I got it together. Okay, you're Lydia. She needed the gospel. You say, Phil, I'm broken. I do not have it together. If you knew how broken I was, you would, like, you'd bring the stretcher in right now, okay? Huh. The gospel's for you a slave girl who has her personal demons. You say, I don't know. I'm really just thinking about the game this afternoon, not really the gospel. The gospel's for you, a jailer who's indifferent. The point is this, that Paul met back with the believers. This is why the gospel is good news. Here it is. We prefer cultural division. The gospel is good news to all. We pursue fake freedom. The gospel is good news for real freedom. And we value personal accomplishment and the gospel is good news, the good news of what Christ did, not what we do. We you bow your heads with me? Maybe this morning um, you've never placed your faith in Christ. You thought it was about something that you do. I just want to tell you right here, if you were to say, Phil, what must I do to be saved? I would say what Paul says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. Believe that Christ did that for you when you were but a sinner. That's what it means to become a Christian. Simply believe. Wherever you are this morning, let me invite you to trust Christ. You say, Phil, I need to do that. I saw myself in one of those people you were talking about, and I want to believe. And I would encourage you to just say that to the Lord. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a savior. I believe that you came and you died to pay for my sins. Save me. Teaching of scripture is that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is a personal decision made here but you can't be afraid to make it a public proclamation because this is what someone, the God of the universe, did on your behalf. So we share the gospel out of great gratitude for what he's done for us. Father, we're thankful for this morning. We rejoice in your word. It's convicting, it's comforting, it's all of those things rolled up in one and it just kind of hits us in all kinds of directions. Thank you for using your word to minister to me, and I pray that your word would have rung true in the hearts and lives of those who are here as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.